Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Here's Donald. Carrying it out. Deep ball. Separation. Caught. Robbie Anderson. Goodbye. Touchdown, Jets. The whole NFL is watching. A fourth and ten. And here they come. Make this pass. It's intercepted by Mosley. Bell breaks a tackle. Bell trying to go all the way. Looking downfield, fires this one and intercepted at the 34. Jamal Adams goes down on the ground and takes it away. He'll hit immediately. He got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, use the promo code OVERTIME to get yourself up to 100 bucks off your first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason, and this is the Jets-Browns post-game report. It was an interesting game in a whole lot of ways. Interesting is a word that I'm choosing to use for this. Of course, joined by the great beat reporter from NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media, Mr. Matt Stipulkowski. Matt, this was a night, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It was uh, certainly a night, Scott. How you doing? <laughs> Oh, boy. It was something else. I was out there at MetLife Stadium, as were you. You were in the press box. I was in the stands. And we both watched the same game. And I don't know how much darker the clouds can get around the New York Jets right now because we already know that Sam Darnold had mono. We already know that Quincy Inunua's career may be in jeopardy. We already know that the leader of the defense, C.J. Mosley, or at least one of the leaders, was not playing. We know that Quinn Williams, the number three overall pick, was not playing. So the Jets went into this thing with a severe handicap to begin with, and it only got worse. Let's start with the fact that the starting quarterback in this game, Trevor Simeon, didn't make it all the way through. Now, first of all, we should stipulate, Matt, that when he was in the game, Trevor Simeon was A, not allowed to do much, and B, when he was allowed to do anything, didn't actually do anything. So we'll get that off the table right away. And then we'll get to the fact that toward the end of the first half, Trevor Simeon was destroyed on what was deemed a personal foul for roughing the passer on Miles Garrett. We'll talk more about Miles Garrett in a bit. He did not look good. I would not be surprised if his ankle was broken, but Luke Falk had to come in here. I know that you didn't get an opportunity to talk to Trevor Simeon after the game. I know you talked to Adam Gase, and we'll get to that later, but... It really doesn't look like Trevor Simeon's going to be back anytime soon, does it? Yeah, the Jets didn't have any immediate updates on his uh, kind of long-term prognosis. They said he's still, you know, getting evaluated and everything like that. But just based on the video and you know watching that replay back, it certainly didn't look good for Trevor Simeon. And uh, Gates kind of admitted at one point that the Jets are probably going to have to add a quarterback here simply because of the numbers game. Uh, you know, with Darnold continuing to be sidelined and then Simeon obviously not looking good to play for a bit here so 
Uh, Luke Fox is the only other quarterback on the roster right now, and that's not sustainable. So uh, look for the Jets to add some more bodies at that position pretty soon. So, um, yeah, I, I would say things are, are not exactly looking positive for Trevor Simeon, but I suppose we'll uh, wait a little bit at least until the test results come back and the Jets let us know what the deal is there. I'm not on the Jets' payroll, so far be it for me to offer them free advice, but there is a guy that brought this team to two AFC championship games. It looks like he's still in pretty good shape. He's in a studio right now doing analysis. Maybe want to make a phone call over there. Mark Sanchez, what do you think, Matt? <laughs> uh, let's just say that I put together a list of potential quarterbacks that the Jets could sign out of free agency for uh, Tuesday morning, and Mark Sanchez's name was not on that list. Well, that was an oversight by you, and I'll forgive you for that, Matt. But in all seriousness, you should check out Matt's list. That'll be up in the morning over at NJ.com slash Jets. So Luke Falk came in this game, and the game plan was incredibly conservative, and we're going to get back to that when we talk about Adam Gase. But i got to be honest with you. When he was allowed to do stuff, he actually wasn't half bad. I'm not saying that Luke Falk is going to be some great quarterback, but I feel like next week against the Patriots, they should just let it all hang out, run the air raid like he did at Washington State with Mike Leach, and let's see what happens because Luke Falk by no means was Tom Brady or Drew Brees, but seriously, you could do a lot worse than how he performed when he was actually allowed to throw the ball. Yeah, he was solid in there for sure. He looked, you know, he didn't look like he was in over his head, let's put it that way. I mean, he looked capable of, you know, completing some passes, moving the ball down the field a bit. You know, he put together some halfway to decent drive there. So uh, I'm with you. I mean, if he's the guy that's starting next week against the Pats, there's no use as far as I'm concerned in playing it close to the vest. The Jets are at the point in this season and uh, at the point with all these injuries where you might as well just kind of take some chances and let the chips fall where they may, may because, uh, Le'Veon Bell can't do it all himself, especially behind this brutal offensive line. So uh, you might as well let Luke Falk try to make some plays and hope you get lucky and hope you kind of catch a hot hand here because uh, odds are you're not going to win any games with him just kind of throwing two-yard completions and trying to get it done you know, in a super vanilla fashion. Luke Falk's stat line looks even more impressive when you consider that the Jets actually had negative passing yardage at halftime in this game. Do you believe that? Negative passing yardage. Matt, have you ever seen anything like that? Uh, it's not good. Uh, yeah, the Jets' game plan was uh, interesting, I suppose, would be you know your choice word that you used earlier. Um, a lot of really short passes behind the line of scrimmage, and that didn't seem to work out too good for Trevor Simeon and Luke Falk when he first got out there. So um, probably smart that the Jets, you know, Adam Gase finally let him throw the ball downfield a little bit, uh, and it worked out to some extent. But, yeah, uh, negative passing yards at halftime is uh, not good. And the Jets also had more penalty yards at halftime than they did offensive yards, I'm pretty sure. So uh, not exactly the, the cleanest night for that offensive unit. Matt, believe me, I understand when you have your backup quarterback and even more so your third-string quarterback who was called in off the practice squad in the game, you're going to roll a little bit conservative, certainly much more conservative than you would normally with your starting quarterback, although, funny enough, they were pretty conservative with the starting quarterback the week before. But as far as I could tell, the strategy that Adam Gase was using in the first half and then into the second half 
at least until he took the handcuffs off of Falk toward the end of the third quarter when it was probably already too late, was out-and-out surrender. I don't really know what he was doing because, as you said, the passes were short passes, many of them behind the line of scrimmage. It almost seemed like he was giving up on the offensive side of the ball and hoping that the defense would produce turnovers or something. I don't really know what else he was doing. Yeah, it, it was strange. It was certainly, I mean, there was there seemed to be no aggression to it. And um, I thought at times that Le'Veon Bell could have, I mean, don't get me wrong, Le'Veon Bell got a lot of touches in this game, but it was strange. The first couple drives, the Jets started with runs from Bell, and Bell actually moved the ball decent on those first down plays. He got five yards on the first drive, four on the second drive, but then Simeon dropped back to pass two straight plays after that both times, and then they punted. It, it was just a bizarre mix of plays all the way around. And like you mentioned, I mean, it's, it's tough to completely write this off as an anomaly that's caused by the backup quarterbacks because we kind of saw some of this last week when Sam Donald was in the lineup. So, um, yeah, through two weeks of the Adam Gates experiment here in New York, the play calling has been uh, less than stellar, I would say. It, it's just been a, an odd mix at times. And uh, I guess that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, like you said, you got to cut at least some measure of slack, I guess, with Luke Falk at this point being the guy under center. But um, it's not like it's been a complete departure from what we saw when Sam Darnold was playing. So uh, just, just an odd circumstance here so far through two games. Believe me, I get wanting to keep it conservative considering the fact that it was Simeon and then later Falk, but there's conservative, and then as I said, there's surrender. And I do understand, especially with the offensive line playing the way that they were, that you want to make sure that you don't put your quarterback in a position to hand the ball over to the other team on top of everything else. But you've got to at least try to win the game. And as I said, the offensive line did absolutely nothing to help try and win this game. In fact, they looked like they were actively trying to hurt the Jets' chances of winning this game. Nobody on the offensive line played well, but let's talk a little bit about Ryan Khalil. Ryan Khalil went to numerous Pro Bowls. He was a really good player for the Carolina Panthers. He retired. The Jets were able to coax him out of retirement. I'm not trying to be mean here, but if he keeps this up, He's going to be going right back to retirement a lot faster than he probably thought because he has been absolutely horrible the last two weeks. Now, let's allow for the fact that he's still getting acclimated to this offensive line. He hadn't played with these guys before last week. He only practiced with them, so there's that. And the fact that he's learning a new scheme and a new offense and all of that. But if he keeps playing like this, there's no way that the Jets are going to keep trotting him out there. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to be able to afford to keep playing him if he keeps performing like this for much longer, because you're right, he, he has been really pretty brutal, and uh, I mean, everyone applauded Joe Douglas for making that move when the signing first was announced, myself included. Uh, on paper, it seems like a really smart decision, a, a creative move, a way to bolster this offensive line with kind of an unorthodox decision, and it just I mean, it's early, I suppose, but it just has not worked. I mean, uh, Khalil couldn't do anything during the summer, really. The, the Jets decided he wasn't ready for that third preseason game. And, you know, it's been two regular season games now. He sure still doesn't look ready to play at the NFL level. So, um, yeah, the early returns have not been good here. And uh, at some point, especially once Sam Darnold gets back on the field, 
if, if Ryan Khalil keeps playing like this, you're just endangering your quarterback at that point. So uh, he's got to get things straightened out and start performing at a lot better level than he is right now if he's going to stick around in this lineup. This entire offensive line was embarrassing. It was bad last week. It was worse this week. Shell is not any good. Winters has his moments, but for the most part, not really very good. Kalecio Semele was passable last week. He was worse this week. We talked about Khalil. Now let's get to Kelvin Beecham. Kelvin Beecham seems like a really good guy, and I'm not trying to take a personal shot at him. This is only based on his play. This was one of the worst performances I've ever seen from an offensive lineman in my life. He got absolutely murdered all day by Miles Garrett, by Olivier Vernon, by pretty much anybody he went up against. I understand that it's not all on him because at a certain point, the coaching staff should have realized that Kelvin Beecham simply cannot block these guys one-on-one and thrown a tight end over there to help. However... Kelvin Beecham is still a starting left tackle in this league. He's got to do a better job than this. I understand that Miles Garrett is a much better player than him, but he can't be allowing stuff like this to happen. I mean, it's a miracle that Trevor Simeon may have escaped this with his life, even with the serious injury, and it's a miracle that Luke Falk didn't get injured based on what was going on out there. I don't really know what else to say about Kelvin Beecham other than I think at this point it's fairly obvious that he can be okay against average to below average players, but once an above average player and certainly an elite player like Miles Garrett goes up against him, he's got nothing. And I don't really know what you do to mitigate this the rest of the way because the Jets don't really have any better options at left tackle and there's only so much help they can give Beecham. But boy, this was embarrassing. Yeah, it was not a good night for Kelvin Beecham. Like you said, he got toasted one one play after another. Some penalties mixed in there. Um, I suppose... I, you got to make at least a little bit of allowance for the fact that he was playing banged up. He wound up on the Jets injury report this week. So um, maybe, you know, he was a little bit more injured than people were giving it credit for. Maybe, you know, he, he wasn't talking about the injury at all this week. Adam Gase kind of kept it quiet as well, which was odd. So, um, you know, maybe that affected him to some degree tonight, but, uh, it's not like Kelvin Beecham has been a, a stellar left tackle otherwise. So, um, you know, he, he doesn't get too much of the benefit of the doubt here. He, he has his problems on a good day. So, yeah, um, it, it was tough, uh, a tough showing from Beecham to be sure. And uh, if things don't improve in a hurry, that's going to be a, a big issue for the Jets as well. And, I mean, you know, these offensive line struggles, I guess Jets, fans and the Jets were, were optimistic that this unit would be significantly better this year than it was last because of the additions of Khalil and Osemele. But, uh, you know, Shell and Winters and Beecham are all holdovers from last year and uh, are performing, you know, not all that much differently than they did last year. And you just mentioned Osemele, not very good tonight. Khalil hasn't been good. So the, the product is pretty much similar to last year, maybe worse, to be honest. So uh, I guess, you know, if your two supposed upgrades wind up not being upgrades, it's no surprise that the unit itself doesn't look particularly good. So, yeah, this offensive line has quickly become a very serious issue for the Jets and one that is going to have to get ironed out. Uh, They have to pray that this unit winds up just kind of coalescing with more time together because 
otherwise it's going to get out of control pretty fast. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe you just start plugging in Chuma Doga at some point just to, to get a rookie some reps. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, Maybe it's too early in the season to be thinking about waving the white flag and playing the kids. But uh, after these first two weeks and seeing the next four games the Jets have on their schedule, it's pretty easy to envision this thing kind of getting out of control and the season coming to that at some point. Matt, let's throw in a little sunshine here. Le'Veon Bell, if you're playing in a FanDuel Weekly Fantasy League, I hope that if you drafted somebody on the New York Jets, it's Le'Veon Bell because there was literally nobody else that would have been worthy of your draft pick this week. And if you would like to play and have Le'Veon Bell on your team as well, you can do that right now by signing up over at FanDuel. And if you're a first-time customer, a little extra bonus for you. You get 20 bucks in site credit if you deposit $20 or more. The beauty of FanDuel is that you get a new team every week, so your roster is more flexible. You don't have to worry about somebody getting hurt ruining your season or a guy who's a huge bust that you picked high in the draft underperforming. He's not going to ruin your season either because from week to week, everything is going to change for you. Sign up now at FanDuel, deposit 20 bucks, and you'll get yourself 5 bucks in site credit every week for four weeks. Go to FanDuel.com slash DFS Fantasy or download the FanDuel app today. Le'Veon Bell is an incredible football player. He got absolutely no help from that offensive line. Just like last week, he was sent to run into walls all game long, and he still kept finding ways to make things happen, and he kept fighting, and he kept fighting, and he kept fighting. He made plays in the running game. He made plays in the passing game, and for everybody that said that he's a me-first player and he's not somebody that's a great teammate, late in the third quarter when this game was out of reach, Le'Veon Bell was still busting his butt, hurtling guys, hustling on every single play. There really aren't enough positive things that I could say about Le'Veon Bell's performance, not only this week, but last week as well. He has been worth every single penny the Jets have paid him. I just wish that they were able to capitalize on his performance better because, quite frankly, Matt, he deserves better than what's happened to him so far. He has played so much better than what the stats have shown Lord only knows the type of numbers that he would have actually put up by now if he had a real offensive line throwing some blocks in there because it just seems like every time he touched the ball, nobody was helping him at all. He was doing everything on his own, and he was still finding a way to produce. Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned it right there, but that was the thing that was coming to my mind while you were talking about this as well. I mean, Bell had 129 yards from scrimmage, I believe, was the total number, so imagine what he could have done if he actually had guys blocking for him. Uh, it, it is pretty impressive to watch uh, him just kind of wiggle through these tiny little scenes and just shake around and find a way to turn an absolute brick wall at the line of scrimmage into four yard gains. And uh, him just, I mean, he is a master of just making lemonade out of lemons here and just kind of getting every drop out of everything that he can. It, it's really Impressive to watch, and it's the only thing that's keeping this Jets offense from being just an absolute three-and-out machine. Not that they're doing a whole lot better than that right now, but uh, he's at least able to move the sticks some and you know help them put together some drives here and there. If if not for him, this team would just be uh, you know moving backwards about two yards on every drive, and then sending Lachlan Edwards out there. So. Um, yeah, he is the, the one thing that's standing 
between the Jets' offense and complete debacle status. So, uh, like you said, he deserves better than he's gotten so far, and uh, he has to hope that the Jets' offensive line figures it out for his own sake, too, because uh, at this rate, I mean, if the Jets just keep sending him to run into brick walls and keep playing him basically every snap of every game, uh, I, you know, I just don't know how sustainable that formula really is. So uh, the Jets need to come up with some other ways to make plays and lighten the burden on him a little bit. And they also need a way for the offensive line to, uh, you know, start opening up some actual holes here so he can find some running room instead of just trying to, to wiggle free and get a couple yards and, and, you know, fight for every inch. Matt, I like Jamison Crowder. I like Robbie Anderson. They're generally pretty good receivers. They got zero separation pretty much the entire game tonight. Yeah. Um, it's tough to blame the quarterbacks too much when the wide receivers aren't getting open at all. Um, you're right. Jamison Crowder last week had a great game. He was getting open all the time, and there's a reason that Sam Donald went to him 14 times. Tonight, not much. Robbie Anderson, same thing. Um, Demarius Thomas in his brief time out there, unable to really get anything going. Josh Bellamy, uh, you know, he had the one drop, I know. Other than that, not a lot going on there. The wide receivers on this team just, you know, were not good enough at all tonight. Uh, this group, you know, took a big blow with the news that Quincy Newton was done for the season. That's not going to help things moving forward because there's just one less weapon out there which means everyone else gets a little bit more attention, you know, gets squeezed a little bit more. Uh, yeah, this wide receiver group was suspect at best coming into the year as well. I mean, you've got some pretty decent guys up top, but not a lot of depth, and now we're testing that depth, and, it, you know, it, it doesn't seem like the early returns are very good here. Matt, let's throw in a little bit more sunshine. Somebody on the Jets actually made a field goal tonight. Yeah, how about that? Uh, Sam Ficken, what was it, a 46-yard attempt, I believe, if I'm not mistaken here, and mm-hmm. knock it right through. And that, uh, no exaggeration, is the loudest MetLife Stadium has been through two games, I think, for the Jets <laughs> at this point. People were going nuts when he made that kick to cut the deficit to 10 in the first half there. So, uh, you know, that was a, a fun moment, at least for Jets fans. Uh, you know, at least you'll always have Ficken. Ah, uh, mm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. 
Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Tremaine Johnson was paid over $70 million last year by the New York Jets. Not all of it up front, obviously, but that was the contract. He was brought in to be a number one cornerback. He was bad last year. He's been even worse so far this year to the point where he was a healthy scratch tonight. Yeah, uh, the Jets just decided to keep him on the bench until about three and a half minutes left when Nate Hairston, the guy who was pinch hitting for him, uh, you know, went down with an injury. So Trudian Johnson got to play some mop-up duty in a blowout. That's probably not something he envisioned when he signed that contract about a year and a half ago. Probably not something that the Jets envisioned for him either. I mean, that is pretty brutal. A guy that signed that big money deal to be relegated to mop-up role already. Um, but yeah, he was bad last year. Like you said, he was absolutely brutal in week one. He gave up 110 yards on seven catches. Uh, you know, not good at all. So, uh, he sits on the bench tonight and Nick Harrison plays in his stead and, uh, Hairston actually, give him credit, he, he held his own. I mean, he had really nice coverage on Odell Beckham in that, on that long grab in the first quarter, the 33 yarder, the one handed grab down the sideline by Beckham. Uh, not sure that Hairston can really do much more on that play. And, uh, you know, on the whole, he was actually pretty solid in coverage. He made a few tackles, some nice plays. So, um, you know, was he perfect? No, definitely not. Uh, you know, he got hit with a defensive holding penalty at one point. There's some things he could clean up and do better, but he was uh, not a clear-cut liability out in the field, which is more than Johnson could say last week. So uh, in that sense, at least he was an improvement for the Jets. So, you know, that's something. For whatever it's worth, and we're going to talk more about what the players and Coach Gay said after the game, Tremaine Johnson did take the high road when asked about this and said he had expected to start, but he's willing to do whatever it is the coaching staff wants, and he is happy to be a Jet. So smart answers from Tremaine Johnson. Who has seen better days in Greg Williams' defense? He was one of the stars of Greg Williams' defense when Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator of the Rams. Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator now here for the New York Jets. And we'll get to Odell Beckham in a bit. But overall, I thought he had a really good night. He was completely overmatched from a personnel standpoint. The Cleveland Browns have pro bowlers at numerous positions. Greg Williams was missing two of his best players, and still he managed to play bend but don't break and keep this game within reach for the vast majority of it. He was keeping Baker Mayfield off guard all night. 
He made him confused. He was throwing different looks at him. Mayfield never really got into a groove, and part of what got lost in the shuffle of how bad the Jets were is that Baker Mayfield really wasn't very good tonight. So I thought it was a pretty good game for Greg Williams. Yeah, like you said, I mean, the defense uh, was bending but not breaking. They managed to hold the Browns to those opening two field goals on those first couple drives. Those were big victories. Uh, They kept the game close for, for most of the night there. It was 16-3 16-3 until Beckham broke that long touchdown, which, uh, you know, it, it is doable. It's a two-score game at that point. And I tweeted at halftime that uh, it kind of felt a lot like week one in reverse just because, you know, the Jets were down by a couple scores, but it seemed like with the way the game was going with how bad the offense had been and, uh, you know, everything that was going wrong for the Jets that they should have been down more than they were. Um, they just were never able to turn it around and capitalize on the fact that the defense was holding them in the game. So, uh, you know, obviously a, a disappointment there for the Jets to kind of let that opportunity slip by. But, uh, yeah, Greg Williams' unit did a, a pretty nice job for most of the game. Like I said, that one long touchdown by Beckham, you know, obviously a, a, a bad moment there. Uh, they gave up a field goal right before halftime, which probably stung a bit too because they had the Browns in third and long, if I'm remembering correctly, and uh, got beat for a long completion with time running down, which wound up costing them three points. But, uh, you know, they, they bought themselves some wiggle room and some good graces by holding those two drives early on in the game to field goals. So uh, both of those easily could have been touchdowns if the Jets break there. So, uh, you know, Overall, Greg Williams' unit, especially considering, like you said, the injuries and the guys they were missing, did a nice job. They gave up 23 points, not the end of the world. The Jets' offense just, you know, it's, you can't win games if your team can't score points. And, uh, you know, so Greg Williams' unit did its best to kind of hang in there. And, you know, they were on the field a bunch as well. They, they were fortunate in some respects that the Browns' offensive line was at times almost as dysfunctional as the Jets' offensive line, which allowed them to kind of create a little bit of chaos. But, uh, yeah, Baker Mayfield wasn't great. They managed to rattle him up a little bit as well. So uh, decent showing from Greg Williams' unit. For the second straight week, his side of the ball was easily the Jets' side, uh, stronger side of the ball. Overall, Greg Williams had a pretty good night, but the one guy that he wasn't able to contain was the guy that he talked the most trash about during the week, Odell Beckham Jr., he said Odell who, obviously that was a corny joke, but then he followed it up by saying, how good do you think Odell Beckham is if the Giants got rid of him? Well, pretty good. He made Greg Williams eat his words pretty hard, getting almost 200 yards receiving, including an 89-yard touchdown. And by the way, I like Marcus May, not really sure what it is he was trying to do on that 89-yard touchdown. So big night for Odell Beckham, and while Greg Williams had a pretty good night, Odell Beckham had a better one. Yeah, I mean, those comments were dumb at the time, and they look even dumber now, and I have no idea what Greg Williams thought he was going to accomplish by poking the bear. Um, Seemed like a mistake from, you know, the second it came out of his mouth, and who knows? I mean, Odell Beckham, you know, may very well have not needed the extra motivation here, and he might have exploded against the Jets anyway. It was a pretty good matchup for him, considering the bad cornerbacks for the Jets, and uh, you know, coming back to MetLife, a place where he's obviously pretty comfortable from his time with the Giants. So uh, maybe all of this happens regardless. But, uh, you know, the comments do not exactly make Greg Williams look so good now that Odell Beckham goes out there and hangs up a big performance. So um, silly move by Greg Williams going out and trying to talk trash and 
diminishing Odell Beckham's talent. You know, it, it wound up burning him here. I like Leonard Williams. I think that he's become pretty underrated by the Jets fan base. I think at one point he was overrated, and now it's at the point where people tend to trash him way too much. But the last couple of weeks, he has not done a lot to help me help him. In other words, it's been harder and harder to defend him over the last couple of weeks. This was a rough game for Leonard Williams, and it certainly didn't do much to help his cause of getting paid at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, he just, he hasn't made any plays. It's as simple as that. I mean, you wind up at some point during the game, I find myself just like checking the box score to make sure that I didn't miss anything that Leonard did. And then you look and you're like, no, just nothing has really happened for him. You look across the line and, you know, a couple tackles or whatever, and there's just nothing. And it's bizarre. I mean, he's a guy that, like you said, I mean, he at times, I think, gets, has gotten, you know, a little bit more flack than maybe is warranted from Jets fans. But right now, I mean, he is just not popping up at all. It seems like he's getting manhandled at the line of scrimmage pretty often. He's just really not impacting the game, not disrupting much at all. So uh, the Jets really need him to turn things around because, you know, the defense has lost enough key pieces, enough leaders at this point. They need the guys that are still out there to be making plays stepping up, getting the job done, and and so far Leonard just has not been doing that. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. There were some injuries in this game, Matt. We talked about Trevor Simeon, but also Jordan Jenkins went down at some point. Not good news considering that the Jets were thin at edge rusher to begin with, and Jordan Jenkins was already their best edge. If he has to miss any significant time, this is going to be a big problem. Yeah, for sure. And Jenkins seemed to kind of have a feel that this wasn't good because as he came off the field, he kind of spiked his helmet. He didn't seem happy. And talking with him after the game, um, you know, he said he doesn't think he'll be out too long. That was his words. But reading between the lines there a little bit, it almost seems as if he's implying that he will be out for a little bit. He just doesn't expect it to be, you know, super long. So I, I suppose that's a bright side for the Jets. Maybe I'm parsing words a little bit too much, but, uh, you know, we'll find out more once the Jets evaluate him over the next day or two here. But, um, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be good news for next week. Uh, like I said, maybe I'm looking to do it a little bit too much, but, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Jenkins isn't available until after the bye or maybe beyond, depending on how these tests come back. Um, that's just me kind of going off of gut reaction hearing what he had to say after the game. But, uh, like you said, I mean, if he's out for any significant amount of time, that's bad news for the Jets because they don't have a ton of good options at that spot as it is. And he was pretty clearly their best guy on the edge. So, uh, they need him in there as much as possible and, uh, losing him would be a pretty big blow. The newest Jet, Demarius Thomas, came out of the game injured as well. Yeah, hamstring injury, and uh, that was the thing that was keeping him from practicing this past week. And, uh, you know, Gase had said that 
Demarius Thomas would play so long as he was healthy enough to play. The hamstring was good enough to go on Monday night. That's what wound up happening. And turns out maybe it wasn't really good enough to go because uh, it wound up flaring back up and he wound up sitting out the rest of the game. It happened pretty early on. So uh, the Jets' latest acquisition, pretty minimal impact. And, um, you know, I'm very curious to see how much he really adds to this Jets wide receiver group at some point this year. I know his familiarity with Gase is the reason he's here and the reason why Gase and the Jets feel like they can get something out of him. But, uh, you know, the, the Patriots don't let talent walk uh, very often. So uh, consider me a, a little bit skeptical for right now, I suppose, about what Demarius Thomas is going to be able to add to this offense. Penalties, Matt. Still too many penalties tonight. Yeah, I think the final tally was 10, 12 penalties. Was it, 12? it was a lot of penalties, man. It was so many. I was losing track at some point. The seven on the offense, I'm pretty sure. Uh, a bunch of pre-snap penalties, bunch of during the you know penalties during the play it was really really not good uh eight penalties in week one and then you follow it up with this i mean uh i'm sure jets fans were hoping with a new coaching staff would come a new sense of discipline and kind of some renewed vigor and uh you know cleaned up some of these mistakes and instead it's just been the same old thing that we've seen from last year and uh you know uh, just a lack of discipline that's biting them in a big way right now and i this is the time when you're battling all these injuries and all this adversity and your talent isn't on the field this is the last time that you can afford self-inflicted wounds and instead the, the, the jets are just kind of doubling down on their misery and making it even harder that, uh, than it needs to be on themselves so uh not exactly a recipe for for winning games and you know it seems like some of these penalties are coming at the wrong time to just offsetting big plays and handing away first downs at the wrong time as well. So, uh, yeah, just, just keep uh, shooting themselves in the foot. It's kind of amazing that they were able to walk around the field by the fourth quarter with all the bullet holes. Matt, let's go inside the locker room now. First of all, Coach Gase, what did he have to say? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, he was obviously grilled a little bit on the Tremaine Johnson decision, but basically he just said it was you know, the coaching staff's decision, they decided not to play him and didn't really say anything more than that. He did say it had nothing to do with anything disciplinary. It was, you know, strictly performance-based. So that's why Tremaine wasn't on the field. Uh, he also obviously had kind of admitted and caught to the fact that the offensive line was not good enough and needs to get better. So, uh, you know, the question is going to be how they go about doing that. Uh, and he said as well that, uh, you know, Luke Falk had a, a decent night, which I think we would all agree with. And, uh, so that he was trying to ease Luke Falk into the game when he first got in there, which, you know, is part of why the play calling was so conservative when he first got on the field. A lot of, uh, really, really short passes and also a ton of running from Le'Veon Bell to start there. But, uh, you know, for the, for the most part, it was a pretty solemn, uh, case. I asked him at one point if, uh, you know, we had mentioned to him in the run up to this Browns game that with all the adversity the Jets are facing right now, it, you know, teams can kind of go one of two ways. They can either come together and battle back or things can fall apart pretty quickly. And, you know, obviously Monday night was, uh, not exactly a great, uh, example of fighting back for the most part. It was, uh, at least on the offensive side of the ball, it was more like folding up like a tent. So, I asked him, you know, if you know, another bump in the road here, if he has to worry at all about this team falling apart and the snowball effect taking hold here and things getting out of control. And 
uh, you know, for what it's worth, he said no, not with this group. He, he's not worried about this group's character and their ability to kind of stick together and fight through this. So, um, at least for now, he's remaining positive. But uh, you could tell. I mean, it was he, he was not in the mood for lengthy answers and to, to talk a whole lot after this game. Uh, you know, I think he knows that this offense just has not been good enough the first couple weeks here, and uh, 19 points total from the Jets through two weeks is not a great reflection. Matt, you had the opportunity to talk to a couple of other players as well in the locker room. Who were they and what did they have to say? Yeah, so one of the guys was Tremaine Johnson, and like you said earlier, I mean, he kind of bit his tongue and just said the right things. He said he was there to support his teammates tonight, and he mentioned the fact that he was a bit surprised that he didn't play. He, he said when he was dressing that, that it assumed that he assumed that many would play. He said he'd been splitting the starters reps during practice this week. So um seems like he thought he had a chance to play here tonight. Uh, but interestingly enough, when we talked to Nate Harrison, uh, he said that the coaching staff let him know a couple days ago that he would be playing in this game. So uh, I don't know if there's some crossed wires there or what the deal is there. Or maybe the coaches play, told Harrison that he'd be playing, but, you know, he didn't think that that was mutually exclusive, him and Johnson playing. Maybe they thought that the both of them might spend some time playing. Not not really sure what the deal was there, but it seemed uh, almost a little bit contradictory there to, for Harrison to say that he found out a couple days ago that he was playing, but Tremaine Johnson, on the other hand, saying that, you know, he didn't know that he wasn't going to play. So uh found that a bit interesting. Jordan Jenkins, uh, talked to him, like I said, and he touched a little bit on his own injury but also just said that this is the worst injury bug that he's ever seen and you know he mentioned he was on a team where you know he got injured at georgia and chubb also went down uh, you know they went down right uh, around the same time i believe in the same game um but he still you know thinks that this is about as unlucky a team as he's ever been on on the injury front so um you know obviously that is not good news for the jets Jamal Adams was uh, very clearly not in the mood for talking. He uh, was a man of very few words tonight. I think his press conference lasted all of two minutes and uh, really nothing eventful on that front. And then uh, Kelvin Beecham uh, kind of leaned in and, you know, was, you know, he, he took some responsibility and he said the offensive line hasn't been good enough. He said his play wasn't good enough. So, uh, you know, at the very least, at least he stood up and kind of said some of the right things as well. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty grim mood in the locker room after the game. And, you know, you could tell the guys are, uh, a little bit worn down by these bad performances already early on here, especially with all the injuries and other stuff that's piling up. So the Jets lose this one at MetLife Stadium on Monday night, 23-3 to to the Cleveland Browns. And now on short rest, they head over to Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots, who have outscored their opponents 73-3 to in the first two weeks. This should be interesting. I will say this, though. If the U.S. could win that hockey game at Lake Placid, if Buster Douglas could knock out Mike Tyson, if Kirk Gibson could hit that home run, against Dennis Eckersley in Game 1 of the 1988 World Series, then anything's possible. May not be that likely. I believe the Patriots have opened up as 22-point favorites against the Jets, but you never know. Anything's possible, and as Chris Berman likes to say, that's why they play the games. And that's why Matt will be back next week after the game is over in Foxborough to take us through the post game as he did 
tonight and of course did a great job with it matt thanks so much really appreciate you hopping on i know you've got a ton of material that's going up over at nj.com slash jets so why don't you go ahead and let everybody know what they've got in store for them when they head over there yeah like i mentioned a list of some free agent quarterbacks the jets might be able to target coming on tuesday morning uh also uh, a quick look at the Tremaine johnson thing as well and uh then uh, i will admit a somewhat snarky uh piece about the jets and their playoff chances as well so uh you know find that one and uh you know i I suppose if you're uh interested or uh upset with me afterward you can find me on twitter it's m underscore stipulkowski s-t-y-p-u-l-k-o-s-k-i uh follow along there for uh you know game updates and stuff throughout the season as well and uh you know, more stories every day about the Jets coming throughout the year here. Go ahead and follow Matt on Twitter at M underscore S-T-Y-P-U-L-K-O-S-K-I. Read his work over at NJ.com slash Jets. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.